Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on Disney+. Plus. I am your host, Peter Eklund, and on this week's show, we're actually going to take a break from Disney+, Plus, like, officially, and we're going to be looking at a whole number of things as me and my guests break down our lists of our top 10 movies from 2020. So we're going to be going all over the place, maybe movies that came out in theaters, but probably mostly movies that either came out in some form on streaming, whether it was Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, whatever, Amazon. Um, so I'm very excited for that. So, But I can't do this alone, so I get to welcome on my good friend, Dave Butler, back onto the show. Dave, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having me. So Dave is a guy who I met, oh my gosh, probably eight or nine years ago. Um, he was involved with the campus ministry that I'm part of, um, that I still work in. And he was a student at the time. And honestly, from the moment that we really met and hung out, we there was something just clicked with us and we became good friends. And he and I both share a, a love and an enjoyment of entertainment and movies. And we spent a lot of time going to the movies together and watching movies and talking about movies. And so I couldn't think of anyone better to join me on this conversation for today. So Dave, um, yeah, I think actually the last time we had you on was um, you and I talked a little bit about the premiere episode of the Mandalorian season one, um, just back in November. Um, but yeah, here we are. And what do you, what are you up to, man? Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, I was not ready for that. <laughs> um, uh, just working uh, last few days. Uh, I was out um, on vacation on the Cape, Cape Cod for weeks. So I uh, kind of worked my way through some of the backlog of 2020 movies that I hadn't seen yet. Um, I actually saw a few that are going to make it onto this list. Ooh, that's funny. <laughs> this time piling right now because I'm ne- I'm never really good at ranking things. Yeah, I was wondering because uh, I mean I feel like I get more enjoyment of making lists and ranking things than you do. You're just kind of like a I liked it. I don't like it, and you don't necessarily think in the terms of ranking. But I think I'm the weirdo in this case. Well, I can pick a top ten. It's just probably not going to be the same top ten tomorrow. <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. Um, or at least it won't be in the same order. Right. Right. Well, you know that'll so. that'll be that'll be fine. So so how was your holidays, man? I mean, as we're talking right now, it's the fourth of no, it's the fifth of January, and so we're past Christmas and past New Year's. How was how was the holidays for you, dude? It was great. I enjoyed it. Um, didn't really feel any different to me, but usually Christmas isn't like a big family get together holiday. Mm-hmm. Just stayed in Albany, so it was uh, a little different not traveling this year, but I didn't mind it. Cool. Yeah, we um we did the two family thing, so we did Christmas Day with my family, and then we um kind of had Christmas Part Two over New Year's up in Rochester. So we were just getting back from Rochester this week. Um, yeah, and while we were up there, dude, we saw Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters, which. To go back to see a movie in theaters is always fun since most of them are shut down right now. Um, Which theater did you see it in? We were in Webster. So just east. Was it the, um, was it the AMC? Yeah, the AMC in Webster. I used to go to that one all the time. Yeah, it was, it was good, man. Um, honestly, just like, even though I didn't think much of the movie itself, it was just nice being able to go see a movie in theaters. And I think the last one I saw in theaters was, was Tenet. 
Um, Jess and I did that up in Albany, and we were like only two people in the theater. Um, and that was okay too. I honestly, I'm just like more excited about being in a theater than necessarily the movies that I saw in the theater, you know? But yeah, and I think actually, I, I remember, I think the last time you and I went to go see a movie in theaters was earlier in 2020 when we went to see um, Bad Boys for Life. Yep, Bad Boys for Life. So, which is like the top the movie I did not expect to end up uh, clearing the box office um, at the top spot for 2020. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, number one movie as far as box office in America for 2020. So, total surprise there. But, um, hey, well, let me ask you this. Just, I don't want to get too far into it, but was Wonder Woman 1984 on your top 10 list? Yeah, I think it was. Oh, dang. Okay, and then we'll save the conversation for then. Um, but let's – let me just say this. I, before we get to our top ten list, I mean, we end up seeing a lot of movies. I probably ended up seeing 80 movies from 2020, um, which I think for a normal person that would seem like a lot. But that's actually like half the number of movies I would usually see in a given year. Um, I think for this year, that's probably the average, seeing as how nobody had anything else to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, but I even I also got to catch up on movies that I've never seen before, from you know back in the seventies or from whenever you know um, that I really enjoyed watching over this past pandemic that we've been in. Um, but man, there's there's been some bad movies. Um, do you have any like, what was the worst movie you think you saw in 2020? The worst movie I saw in 2020. Um, I mean, as always, you know, I don't have a definitive ranking, but I'll say right now, um, Mulan was really high up there. I think it was just a complete cinematic failure. Mm-hmm. Coming out for $35 on Disney Plus, you know, a streaming service, which, uh, shoot me for saying it on a podcast named after it, but is already kind of slim for what they're asking. Yeah, um, but it it was a it, it had nothing in it for people who enjoyed the animated movie. You know, it didn't have the BD Wong character. It didn't have most of the songs. Not that there were a whole lot of songs to begin with. Right. Uh, Mushu was completely gone. The cricket was completely gone. Well, there was and a boy named Cricket who was in the movie. That's how badly the characters were developed. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a disappointment for sure. It didn't make it like on the bottom of my list, but it was definitely towards the bottom. I think I some of the worst movies I saw were things on Netflix like The Wrong Missy, which was through Adam Sandler's company, and Desperados, which had Winston from New Girl on it, and um, Jiu Jitsu, which was a Nicolas Cage kung fu movie or mar- martial arts movie that he was in. Um, really, really bad some terrible atrocious films and then kind of also artemis fowl was really low on my list i think i hated that more than mulan but yeah that's true i completely forgot about that i don't know if i've ever seen a movie so perfectly suited to being on your phone the whole time yeah seriously i'm just glad i didn't see it in theaters otherwise i would have gotten kicked out (laughs) yeah that was it was pretty bad well, let's, let's get to our actual list, our actual ranking of 2020 films. And listeners, we're going to do the similar how we've done in the past where me and my guests, we're going to go back and forth. And, and anything that 
shows up that may show up on our friends list or on, if I have something on my list that's like number nine or ten and number three for Dave, um, we'll just say we're going to save that for later. We're going to kick that ball down the road. Um, and we'll come back to that later without spoiling too much on where it falls on the other person's list. Um, so I'm excited for this because Dave and I are always talking about films. Um, and so, Dave, as my guest, why don't you start us off? What is your number 10? Oh, boy. You know something? I, I think I might just have to do these chronologically. Okay. Rather than um, in order of preference. So because that, that at least is a ranking that I don't have to, like, you know, deliberate with myself. But I'll say that my number 10 being the first movie of the year um, to get on my top 10 list would unquestionably be The Invisible Man. Yeah, that's going to um, that's going to fall definitely um, higher on my list for sure. So we can save that for later. Um, so, okay. So we'll go we'll go to me. My number 10 was one that's kind of in talks as far as some Oscar contention. Um, it's going to be it's on Netflix. It's Mank. Saw it. Yeah, that would be that would be higher for me if I I guess maybe I will go for preference. So yeah, Invisible Man wouldn't be ten. Um, okay. But yeah, Mank is up there. Okay. Mank was incredible. I actually, I actually saw it a couple days ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I liked it, and we'll we'll save the conversation for later as well. Then, if you want to save um, Mank talk for later down the list. Um. So let me do my number nine. Then we'll kind of go back and forth in, in a different way. Um. Mine is a Christmas movie, kind of. Um. It is. I don't know if you've seen this, but it came from director Isham Nels and it starred Mel Gibson and Walter Goggins. It was Fat Man. <laughs> I, uh, I saw the trailer. Okay, so you haven't seen it? No, no. Okay. I'm aware of the premise, kind of. Yeah. Oh, dude, I loved this movie. I had such a blast watching it. And what I think I like about 2020 and its list of movies is we don't have a whole bunch of like tentpole films, you know, movies that are huge blockbuster. You see it in the theaters thing. And, and I, I don't think there's, there's a lot of movies on this list that we probably wouldn't have gotten on it if it wasn't for COVID and theaters shutting down and whatnot. So there's movies that I really enjoyed that I otherwise wouldn't probably been able to talk about including fat man. And I, I just, I loved the premise of this movie. It was the idea that Santa is this crotchety Mel Gibson up in the, you know, the North pole area up North. And he is, um, there's this boy who's in like New York city or something. And he's a spoiled rich kid and he ends up getting coal in his stocking. And so he hires his hitman, played by Walter Goggins, to go and kill Santa. And it was so much fun. It was bombastic and ridiculous. But it also, what I loved about it, it wasn't like campy and cheesy. It took itself seriously in a weird action way. And I think it what is like really what worked for the movie. Um, because it just... I don't know. It's, it was, dude, I would definitely suggest you checking it out because it's just ridiculous, you know? And I never thought I would want to see Mel Gibson playing Santa, but it was, it was just so much freaking fun. It definitely sounds like something else to take a look at. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would. But uh, hopefully, you know, he can uh, lay off the eggnog a little bit this time. (laughs) 
Yeah, seriously. Um, well, I mean, it's never mind. I don't want to go down a, a rabbit trail or anything <laughs> I don't want to say about Mel Gibson. But yeah, I just I thought it was awesome and fun. I thought Walter. Are Don you was, an elf? What's that? Are you an elf? Am I an elf? No, I'm not an elf. No, I'm the, never mind. Never mind. The whole, you know, interrogating people thing from 2004 for him. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, you can cut that part out later. No, we'll keep it. Um, but then also who plays, what I also loved apart from those two is um, the woman who played um, Mel Gibson's wife in the movie, Marion Jean Baptiste. Um, she was great in it. She basically played Mrs. Claus. And there's like this whole other story within this movie apart from um, this boy who sends a hitman to kill Santa. There's also this story within it in which the U.S. government has asked Santa to help in making weapons for the government um, because his workshop can do it and they need to make money because less and less people are believing in Santa and less and less people are good or children are good. And so it's just, there's a, a lack of work for him and his elves. And it's just, it's just interesting and ridiculous and total fun. So check it out, dude. So do you- yeah, I'll have to check it out. It sounds pretty good. That's a nice counterpoint to the Santa Claus, which I saw for the first time this year. Oh, the Santa Claus with Tim Allen? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, totally different movie. I'm surprised it took you this long to see it. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not really big into Christmas movies, especially like ones about Santa, but that sounds almost like the 2020 version of the Santa Claus, you know? I think, honestly... Like the pandemic think special like where he comes back and he's all grizzled from a whole year of being isolated from everybody. Although, I guess for him, that's like, you know, every year. Yeah. Um... Anyway, so let's let's get on to your number nine. What do you, what do you have? You know something. I think I'm gonna have to go with um, first off for number ten. I'm gonna go with Birds of Prey. I think. What is it? Birds of Prey. Okay, that did not make my list. Really? Yeah. That, though um, I did like it. Um, more than actual Wonder Woman 1984, but I think we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, talk to me about Birds of Prey. Um, what did you think about it? I liked it a lot um, more the first time I saw it than the second. Um, you know, it was definitely a good idea to make Harley Quinn kind of the centerpiece of the movie. Um, it kind of, in some ways, fails because of that, because, you know, I think with her performance and her character, there's only so much you can do if you're going to be true to who the character is. Yeah. And, you know, given the fact that she's not nearly as old of a character as most of the Batman's pantheon, that there's a little bit less flexibility, I feel like, to reinterpret her. But um, Margot Robbie was great in the role, obviously. Mm-hmm. Standout for me was actually Ewan McGregor. Yeah, that's what I was about play, to say. You know, a villain, a really sadistic villain, just completely out of character for him from like anything else he's done in his career that I've seen at least. And to see him chew the scenery every time he's in it. I mean, the whole movie is, you got to see it at least just to see him play that character. You know? Yeah. I, I loved him in the movie. I think he was my, he was definitely my favorite part, but I liked, I liked the cast and I liked most of the performances, you know, and I can't pick out a lot of them right now, apart from, Rosie Perez being in the movie and Ewan McGregor and 
obviously uh, Margot Robbie. But yeah, I, I, I liked the different characters and then them coming together as the birds of prey, you know? Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. It didn't make my list, but I enjoyed the movie all in all. And I think for nine, surprisingly, because I did not think that this was going to make my list, but <laughs> looking at my number, like my whole 10 list, um, there are a lot less movies that came out this year than I think I realized. But Sonic the Hedgehog, which I think was way better than any, than it really had any right to be. Especially coming back from that, you know, atrocious. Um, opening debut trailer with Gangsta's Paradise for some reason and um, basically one of the Lion King characters faces kind of transposed over him for some reason. Yeah. But uh, really enjoyed the movie actually. You know, it didn't really do anything new, but it almost felt like if somebody saw the Quicksilver segment from Days of Future Past and said, I can make a whole movie out of this, you know? Yeah. I was, um, I liked this movie quite a bit. And it's interesting because this movie was definitely a movie made for fans because the fact that they, you know, the, they went back into production when they, the first trailer came out in which so many people complained about the look of the title character of Sonic. And they went back and they redid like almost the whole movie. And then again, you know, looking back at 2020, it's one of the top movies as far as the box office goes within 2020, you know, and maybe that, that choice really worked to the, the, to the benefit of, I guess, Sega, but I don't know who, I don't, I can't remember who produced the movie as far as the big time production companies. Um, yeah. And I, I liked it. And honestly, when I, when I saw it in theaters, I went with our mutual friend, Tyler and um, Aaron Starry, who listeners would know who he is from our talk on the Mandalorian. Um and it was a, we were in the theater with a bunch of kids, and it was the time, like the only time I've watched the movie with kids in the theater with them laughing and enjoying the movie out loud. That I was like, "This is fine. This is good." And I liked hearing kids enjoy the movie. Usually, I'm the curmudgeon who's like, "Will you all shut up? Don't talk in the movie," you know. <laughs> but this is like the one time that I really enjoyed almost watching kids watch this movie and really loving it, you know? So I liked it. And Jim Carrey was so fun in this movie. It was like Jim Carrey back in the early to mid nineties, as we remember him, you know, before his, um, painting career. Right. Right. And before he got like super existential and weird. Um, yeah, I just thought it was like the mask again, you know, or Ace Ventura back on the screen. So I just, I, I liked the movie quite a bit, though it did not make my top 10 list. So, do you want to do your number eight? Yes. Um, let's see. You know, number eight, I think I'm going to have to go for... Hmm. Onward. I onward okay that's gonna definitely be a punt for me till later on on the list so um we'll save our talk in regards to that later my number eight um i don't know if you got the chance to see it it really just came out um on netflix a few days ago and it's um ma rainey's black bottom i did see it actually okay that's um that's higher on my list 
Okay, so we'll save our talk there. Um, my number seven was a Hulu movie that came out, I think, in November. Um, it was kind of, it was a bit of a thriller. It was, um, yeah, it was um, starred Sarah Paulson, and it was Run. Did you see it? Nope, not even aware of its existence. Okay. Run. So then, um, how do you feel about Sarah Paulson as an actress? I think she's good. I mean, I'm not really a huge American horror story fan. And um, got to say that I am one of the few people in the world who really thought that the uh, the OJ show was atrocious. But I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think it's like her fault or anything. I think she's a very talented actress. Yeah, she was phenomenal in this. Um, this movie was directed by Anish uh, Kaglini. Um, who was the writer of Searching. This was like one of, you know, his first big directorial films. Um, and, you know, what I like about it is just stumbling upon these movies on like Hulu and Netflix and stuff that you necessarily don't hear a lot about. But this is like a, it's, it was kind of a mix between Carrie and Misery, if I could describe it um, okay. as a thriller or a scary movie. It was um, about this girl who is, you know, late in high school, junior or senior in high school, but she was homeschooled and bound to a wheelchair because she has has multiple um, sicknesses or, um, you know, from her birth, basically. And um, she's played by Kira Allen, who, you know, she is actually a, a young actress who's bound to a wheelchair. And... Um, it was thrilling because it really becomes this thing about like, you know, she only really interacts with her mom, but then she starts to suspect that her mom is really kind of up to stuff and is, is tricky. And Sarah Paulson gives a killer performance within this movie and scary as well. You know, obviously American horror story. I've never seen it uh, to be honest with you. Um, But incredible performance by her and she obviously carries the film um but it's very similar to carrie in that relationship that the daughter has with the mom and then misery as well you know as you think about kathy bates's um performance with um james can so yeah yeah worth checking out i would recommend it to every anybody who's listening to this um it's on hulu if you have hulu you can watch it um yeah it's great I'll definitely um, have to take a look. So what's your number seven? My number seven. Bill and Ted face the music, I think. I yeah. like that this made our list. Um it didn't make my um list, but it, it was it was on my top ten for a little while before I started seeing other films. Um I liked it. Talk, talk about the movie. What, what did, why did it make your list? Well, I guess for one thing, you know, the context of 2020 and a movie like that that's, you know, been in some kind of stage of production, I think, for years and years, and finally getting it during the pandemic. Um, me and my dad saw it at a drive-in paired with New Mutants, which actually I also liked. Um, definitely not on my top ten but I did like it but this was um, really surprising you know just like to have to see a movie where 
they're bringing back um, kind of kind of almost a one note joke. You know what I mean? Like, there's not really a whole lot to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and I, right. I did not like the sequel at all. But it's kind of endearing for the stupidity. Um, yeah. But without really falling into like crassness or crudeness, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It walks a really fine line, and and actually having like you know the, the daughters who are both for some reason I guess take after their moms who must be geniuses to make up for how dumb their fathers are. But um, their whole subplot, you know, Keanu Reeves and um, I feel really bad to forget this guy's name on the podcast, but whatever. Isn't it like is. Winters or something? I don't know. To be honest, half the time I can't even remember which one's Bill and which one's Ted. <laughs> But I'm not sure they can either, so I'm not sure I'm the only one there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it had a lot of heart. It was clever, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole kind of, like, having everybody play in the drum circle to save the world was um, kind of an apt thing for 2020. Um, Yeah, yeah, you know, I almost feel like they should have passed out instruments at the drive-in for people to play along, which would have been a brilliant marketing scheme, but also probably ridiculously expensive. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, it was just a, it was a clever movie. It was also just kind of sweet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with all these like late sequels that we see come out, you know, as far as these comedies go that just flop, you know, where like the actors are older, I think of like Anchorman 2 or Dumb and Dumber 2 to have this movie be so late and coming out. But be so good i think some things that it had really going for it is the fact that it was the same director and writer of the previous two films yeah and even like i didn't i did not like bogus journey as much as i liked excellent excellent adventure back in the day i liked that they pulled the grim reaper in it and i i loved his little his scenes um within the movie i thought he was great and i i i liked the overall message of the movie and I just I thought it was good and I thought it was clever with because they're always messing with that genre of time travel movies in their own kind of unique fun way and I just I thought this movie worked and it was on my top 10 list for a long time you know and it it definitely bounced off um but I'm glad that it's showing up in our this podcast episode today Yeah I um, definitely recommend it Yeah me too all right, what's your number six? We are getting into more complex territory. I think that I'm going to go with uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just watched that a couple days ago, and I loved it. Um, but it's it's further up on your list. It's your number six. It was my number eight. Um, tell me, what did you love about it? Um, I think that it, I think that any movie that has Chadwick Boseman in it had, I guess, um, was pretty greatly enhanced by him because he was one of those actors who I don't think they really. He seemed almost like an actor out of time. You know what I mean? Like Sidney yeah. Poitier, Kirk Douglas presence, yeah. just like delivering. You you know you could have him deliver lines even from a script that wasn't that great, and he just like had a way of giving some kind of dramatic weight to whatever he was involved with, whatever he was mm-hmm. performing. Um, you know, and seeing seeing that in a movie 
that's based on a play that takes place in basically two rooms as like a 10 person cast, I think just kind of amplified that, you know? Um, right. And kind of the fact that like Viola Davis was in it, you know, and she was great, but I don't really remember her performance at all, quite honestly. There sure. it is. Like, it, it's almost like for being named for it. And I think it's by design, honestly. I don't think that she's supposed to be the focus of the movie. And it's almost like a mm-hmm. bait and switch, you know? Um, but I, I, I honestly, I didn't really feel like a Chadwick Boseman, Viola Davis movie. It felt like a Chadwick Boseman movie, you know? And for it also to be, um, at least at this point, the last thing that we're probably going to see him in was right. going out on a really high note without really, you know, going to any plot specifics or anything like that. Just an incredible performance and also kind of like really changing tonally from the beginning to the end in a way that was kind of unexpected. But it's also a way that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, movies that are based on plays, you notice that they can do that because they're working with a, you know, a more focused right. narrative because, um, you know, they're not really changing settings or anything like that, but it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, um, I, I, the only thing I would probably push back on is I, I felt the performance of Viola Davis within this movie was very strong, and I, I think that they are the two that obviously carry this film, and I loved her performance in it. Um, just the, the choices that she made, her, her acting was top-notch, but you're right, too. I mean, he steals the scenes. He is so captivating to watch within this. And I'm, I'm right with you. I, I think, you know, within five minutes or 10 minutes of a movie, you can usually tell whether or not it was, um, it was based on a play. I, I just watching the dialogue and how quickly the actors within it exchanged their lines. It was like clearly written for the stage. Um, and which I think can actually help a movie, but sometimes it can actually hinder a movie as well, um, depending on it. But I, I loved the story. I loved the characters. I loved hearing each of the performers, their story, and kind of as being African-Americans who are at this time, um, you know, recording and trying to get their deals made. And then the, the, very, the very end scene and like Chadwick Boseman's arc as he writes this music to be, you know, hopefully for him to be able to make it. And then I don't want to spoil the movie too much, but, you know, he's kind of cut off at the legs, per se. Um, And we get to really see a very poignant, I don't know, expression of of the struggle that existed, you know, even, you know, within the post-segregation or within the segregation um, on just that race relation. And it was it was it's frustrating you know for them and for Chadwick Boseman's character and you get to see a lot of different um people kind of push back on that whole whole thing so yeah I loved it it was are you there okay yeah I'm here I was getting a little echo on my end so um yeah anything else you want to say about Ma Rainey's uh nope just watch it Check it out. It's worth it. My number six, um, and it's funny because maybe we'll punt this again, depending on how you felt about it, um, was something you mentioned earlier, and then you kicked it down your list um, further, was The Invisible Man. 
<clears throat> you do you want to? We probably have to save that though, right? Because it's going to be further up on your list. Well, I think that all of the ones, as far as like a ranking, I think it'd be. Yeah, it'd probably be higher up. To be honest, we'll um, we'll, we'll hold off on talking about that. Then let's go to let's go to my number yeah. five. Um, another Hulu movie that was supposed to actually be in theater, um, but it was released, I think, early in the summer on Hulu. Um, it was picked up by them. It was Palm Springs. I know of yeah. it. Okay. Didn't see it. Um, it was great. It was awesome. It was. Um, it kind of played along with that whole um, story of like the Groundhog Day story of the same day repeating every day, you know, and the main character of the movie is Andy Samberg. And he was, you know, one of the main producers of the film It's kind of his group of lonely Island. And it also starred Kristen um, Malati from, I guess the last few episodes or so of how I met your mother and JK Simmons is also really great in it. And basically, you know, Andy Samberg is a, the boyfriend of, um, I guess the maid of honor or someone in a wedding that takes place in Palm Springs and he's, he's stuck there and he's stuck, you know, the, the day of all the preparations, but also the party and, and hanging out and all the stuff that kind of goes with it. And he befriends um, Kristen uh, Malati who really kind of enters that world as well. And she gets stuck within this infinite loop of um, the same day over again. And there's surprising turns within this movie that I wasn't expecting. Um, and I, I think sometimes like, Oh man, I'm going to get tired of this, this same genre, but this movie really goes about it in interesting ways. And yeah, it was, it was really enjoyable. And I would definitely suggest um, you checking it out and anybody else checking it out. It's worth watching. Yeah, I'll take a look. It sounds interesting. Um, I'm always down for J.K. Yeah, Simmons. he's he's great in it, and he's he's definitely a supporting character. And um, to see his arc, you know, when he's not very much in the movie a whole whole lot, um, I think he's he's great, and he's honestly one of my favorite directors who's out of it. You know, directors, actors who is working today. I mean, I can point to Spider Man, but I also point to um, Whiplash as being one of my favorite movies to come out in the last ten years. So not quite my timeline. <laughs> nice. Um, so what's, what's your number five as we're getting, I love also that you're constructing your list on the go, um, which is just totally us where I am the overprepared guy and you're just like throwing this together. I think it's perfect to our relationship. Um, so what's your number five? Oh yeah. I, mean, I was also um, scrolling through a list of 2020 movies <laughs> as we were, as you were doing the intro, just to make sure I didn't. <laughs> That's number awesome. five. Oh boy. Um I think Invisible Man is number okay. five. Is that your number it five? Number too? six, but go ahead, let's talk about it. Okay, yeah. Um first first movie of the year that I think really got my attention. I mean, I'm a big horror movie buff. Um directed by the same guy who did upgrade, so obviously I'm gonna be interested. Great movie if uh, the audience hasn't seen it unless you don't like scary movies in which case uh, never look it up at all but you also wouldn't want to look this up 
So, most interesting fact, I would say, is looking at the trailer for this movie the first time I saw it, I did not realize that it was an adaptation of The Invisible Man until the title. Um, which kind of goes to show how different they went in a direction from something that was originally supposed to be part of the universal dark universe right. um, of their kind of monster movies revival. But obviously the first trailer for this had all the um, sound effects and music, so it couldn't be part of that universe. Um, Cause as we all know, the whole plan for those was to put the trailers out without those first and then walk them back and put the sound effects and music in right. later. Um, but moving on from that great thriller, kind of a Neo Hitchcock, um, a little bit of vertigo, mm-hmm. almost. Actually, quite a bit of vertigo, Seriously. I think. Um, a little bit of gaslight, too. Not actually a whole lot of the old Invisible right. Man or, thankfully, the Hollow Man, which I guess is technically an adaptation of the Invisible Man <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> just a brilliant psychological horror movie, you know, as people would say, for the Me Too generation, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, just um, at, at, you know, n- never. N- it's uh, it's like basically taking the fear of the unknown, yeah. right? But the the unknown, not cosmically, but the unknown of like, did I leave the back door open? Is you know, there somebody? Was the window unlocked me? before? No. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, which sometimes I, I feel like, and then it turns out it's just my cat. It's dark, so I can't see him. But this was definitely something a little bit more malicious. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. Though. Yeah, I, I saw this in the theaters with Jess. She was super excited about watching this movie. Um, and I was obviously as well, too. And, and so we went to the theaters to see this. And the minute that the lights went down, she looked at me. And the same look she gets to me when we get on a roller coaster and we're going up the hill. She's like, I don't want to do this. I'm done. I want to be done. <laughs> so the immediate regret um, that she had. But it was such an excellent movie. And we both loved it. And I, I think you're right. You know, obviously, it's very much um, it, it brings current stuff within this movie with, like you said, Me Too and um, sexual abuse. Um, and I think I, I think that's what makes the movie really strong in a lot of ways, but I think the strongest thing is the performance of Elizabeth Moss. Um, If she wasn't in this movie and it was somebody else and they were trying to sell the material um, on the screen, it might have not have been as successful as, as it was her, as she is this woman who's becoming undone, you know, as, as she's being stalked and um, messed with, you know, psychologically and, and in a lot of forms by this stalker, you know, by this ex-boyfriend and incredible movie, absolutely incredible. And also I got to, I got to give a call out too um, to Aldis, um, Aldis Hodge, who was in the movie. I thought he, he was great in it. She, he plays like her really good friend who takes her in and she's living with. And he was, he was awesome in this movie. He was great too little understated, but also very good. Um, all right. So, Dave, hit me with your number four. Number four. Uh, 
Number four, I think, would be Soul, probably. Okay. We're going to save that for um, later down on my list. But I'll exchange you one Pixar film for another. My number four is Onward, which I know is your number eight. Um, I liked, I loved on, Onward so much. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's probably one of the, the best movies to watch on Disney Plus from the last year. Um, the performances were great. The story was great. I mean, anything from Pixar, you're just giving Pixar permission to break your heart and to mess with you for days, you know? And, um, I, I loved the world of this like D and D world. As you know, me and our, our friend Tyler, we, we play D and D quite often. And so we, we like to go on these adventures with, you know, fantasy characters. And so there was, it had that going for it, um, in which, Definitely was going to be more of an enjoyable thing for me. But the story of these two brothers who have both lost their dad, um, you know, Chris Pratt being the older brother and Tom Holland being the younger brother, it was really compelling. And I thought um, also the Julia Louise Dreyfus, who played their mother in the movie, she was excellent. And uh, yeah, it was um, listeners. You should go back and listen to the very first episode of the podcast. Because me and Tyler, we break down our our watch of that movie, and um, yeah, we we talk about it quite a bit. But listeners have probably heard me talk quite a bit about that movie already. Dave, why don't you share a little bit about it? I thought it was awesome. I mean, it, it's not it's not low on my list because I didn't like it. It's just that there was a lot of other stuff that I think kind of overshadowed it as the year went on. But you know, when it came out, it was definitely it would have been, you know, top five for sure if it hadn't gotten unseated by some other stuff, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, I mean, the world was really interesting. I mean, Chris Pratt and Tom Holland's chemistry in it was, you know, absolutely brilliant. Um, really good emotional storytelling as well. But also just like really... Under, I, it showed like a real understanding of kind of the more geeky side of fantasy and kind of, you know, taking a hard left into that, um, which I think made it work because it was so, you know, yeah. kind of steeped in, in the whole D&D mythos and the like late 70s, early 80s power metal kind of aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where if they kind of, been a little bit more casual about kind of using that um i don't even know like aesthetic or whatever that it wouldn't have worked yeah you know what i mean i think that's the kind of thing where like if you're gonna if you're gonna do a movie like that you really have to go in on the whole commitment of being over the top and kind of ridiculous fantasy rather than something like you know lord of the rings it's a little bit more grounded right um and I, I think what works yeah. is when you take those polar opposites where it's a real, it's a real story. It's a true story that anybody would kind of go through these emotional thoughts that these characters go through with the fantastical. And when you connect those two together, it's really what works with it in this movie, you know? And that's what I think Pixar always has going for them, you know, connect those two polar opposites of the fantastical and the real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get on to our number threes. I will go first. Um, my number three 
was the trial of the Chicago Seven. It's my, <laughs> it's number three for me as well. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, this was my number two for the longest time. Um, I, I think it has the, some of the greatest potential to win best picture at the Oscars right now, currently. Um, I, I loved it. I think the performances were astounding. I mean, you have Aaron Sorkin who's written and directed this film and the performances, especially Sasha Baron Cohen was so strong in this movie. But what do you... Yeah, I mean, it was just a... um, I mean, it was an incredible film, you know? Like, dealing with with kind of the divisiveness of the time. Um, It was kind of interesting to see, like, the, you know, kind of the Vietnam War at its zenith of like you know social unrest and everything during 2020 kind of yeah honestly showing that in a lot of ways politically we don't have it nearly as bad now as they did despite what a lot of people would say kind of looking at that and just thinking that you know where we are now whatever side of the spectrum you're on um you know we're not in the middle of the vietnam war right um but so it kind of put things in perspective I don't know if that was like an intentional move of putting that movie out in 2020 or not, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, you know, the, the politics were secondary to the performances and, and Sasha Baron Cohen's, you know, interactions with the judge, which were just hilarious the whole time. Who played the judge um, again? Remind me, wasn't it? Um, gosh, uh, Frank Langella, right? Yeah, it was Frank Langella. Right. He was he was great in the movie. Every performance was just top notch in this movie across the board. Yeah, and I was just like making a short list on all my movies and like who started it, and who directed it, and I just had to keep on writing the stars down because Eddie Redmayne, probably my favorite performance of Eddie Redmayne that I've seen, Sasha Baron Cohen, John Carroll Lynch. Wait, wait, knocking off uh, Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, just just edging it out a little bit. Um, <laughs> No, just no, no way. But I, I forgot that like Mark Rylance was in the film, and I was reminded of how great his performance was. Um, oh yeah, he was awesome. Jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in the film, and how awesome he was. John Carroll Lynch. Um, oh gosh, who played? Um, who was the black actor within the movie? Uh, um, Yaya Abdul Mateem. Um, I think that's his name. The second. Okay, yeah. He played, uh, he played, uh, who cares if I spoil it? It's been a couple of years. Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. He was, um, okay. Black, Ma- Black Manta? Is yeah. That it? Yeah, he was Black the, Manta. The, the guy with the big crab head helmet in Aquaman. He was so, yeah. I mean, everybody was phenomenal in this movie. And it really is going to be a high contended film for Oscar consideration, I think. You know, and you got Aaron Sorkin doing what Aaron Sorkin does, you know, writing incredible dialogue for people, you know, bringing out incredible performances out of the actors. And the story was very much what, well, yeah, it's a 2020 film in a lot of ways, as much as it is a Vietnam film too, like you said. So um, definitely that, the best to like um, antagonizing the judge yeah. banter since my cousin. 
Yeah, and you're right. You're right. And like to talk more about Sasha Baron Cohen, like you see him and you you think he's just kind of this one-dimensional person on the surface, just being this guy who's just ridiculous and out there and trying to get attention from people. But then, you know, you see him in comparison. I think that's another thing with the Chicago Seven, where you see all of what they're about, similar to like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, and you see the, their reasoning and who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. And then you see them kind of push off against each other. And you can, you also see them come to a greater understanding of each other and acceptance and, and um, I don't know, friendship form bait even after that. So I, I, I think with, there's a, there's some couple pieces, even when he's not in the courtroom where he's just talking to like Eddie Redmayne and you're just like, you're seeing the depth of this person who's pretty outrageous on the surface, you know? Yeah. Um, Dave, what is your number two? I think my number two is going to be Wonder Woman 84. Wow. I forgot about that. Um, dang. I did not think it was deserves to be number two, but go ahead. Talk to me. Now, I want to hear you first. I want to hear you first because I got I to gotta come out strong. Okay. Okay. Um, I liked this movie less than Birds of Prey. Actually, um, I liked it less than even New Mutants. I think New Mutants was my favorite uh, superhero movie of the year, though there wasn't much to contend with. Um, I thought the performances were good. I liked Gal Gadot in it. Um, I thought Chris Pine was again fantastic and believable. It's very much kind of like a Captain America, Steve Rogers, but playing Steve Trevor. You got his own little notes to the movie i thought he was great the chemistry between the two of them again was great i thought pedro pascal was actually fantastic in the movie um and kristen wig was fine she was good and i think the four of them being the main stars of the film they give good performances i just don't think they were given a whole lot to work with i think the story was kind of lacking i think the um i don't know the the main flux of the movie and what the, the the direction that everybody was kind of moving in. I just wanted to see these actors in kind of a different movie. Um, Cause I just didn't, I didn't buy the story. I didn't really like the story. It's all about just like wishes and your wishes coming true. And, and don't get, don't, you know, don't get what you wish for because you might regret it kind of a thing. And I don't know. I just wanted to see a different movie from, from everyone attached including Patty Jenkins, obviously the director as well. That's kind of my long and short of it. Okay. Well, not to go into a whole, not to go into a whole, um, you know, long spiel or anything, but I think it was a movie that 2020 needed in two forms, really. Obviously one that it. You know, kind of the whole overall message at the end is that, you know, the world isn't a just place. It's not necessarily a safe place, but there is a lot in it that, you know, if you kind of close yourself off from people and from life that you're missing, um, you know, the the world does have the capacity to, you know, hold joy in it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um. But also that it's 
it's um and I, and I read a lot of articles kind of criticizing it for this you know basically that it's whole criticism of wish fulfillment that somehow like people shouldn't dream for something better and I think that was the kind of people missing the whole point of the movie. I mean, like you look at the anecdote at the beginning where she's a kid and she takes the shortcut through the race. Um, and it wasn't something that I immediately kind of connected with the theme of the movie, but it's not about not having dreams. It's not about not wanting something better. It's about not putting forth the effort. You know what I mean? It's, I think it's about entitlement kind of like my life should be better. There are people out there who have better lives than me. You know, we can all look at somebody who has something more than us. And people say, why not me? Why don't I have it? I deserve it. You know what I mean? But sure. not everybody can just have what they want yeah. without working for it. <clears throat> like he says, you know, life is good, but it could be better. Not Why not more? And I think that, you know, it came under fire a lot because for, um, for, for people in 2020, they don't want to hear that, you know what I mean? But I, I think that's kind of our culture anyways. This could mm -hmm. you know, become a whole bigger discussion, but we we kind of live in a society where wish fulfillment is something that like people idolize, you know. People want what's coming to them. That you know what I mean? Right. A lot of people don't really want to work for what they want, you know. Sure. And obviously like the world's not fair, everybody knows that. But I think it's kind of the the whole you know, fundamental point of the movie is kind of understanding that, like, you can't change everything, you know, and um, that that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have anything. Like I said, it's a whole nother podcast, um, <laughs> but I think that it was one of the best superhero movies I've seen in a long time because it was so little of a superhero movie. Um, and I and I guess again with expectations, I I loved Wonder Woman the first one so much, and so I I guess you know again with just expectations, I was expecting something different, you know, within the movie. And then, you know, the tail end with Kristen Wiig and the fight, I'm just like again, it's DC kind of falling into their their hole of like bad CGI fighting, you know, the hero <laughs> and the and a monster and yeah, the fight the fight was needless. It didn't look that good. I mean, it still looked better than cats, but um, it it was you, you're not going to be able to make a superhero movie without a fight at the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they can't they can't really do that. But the movie that it made me think of was Superman Returns in a lot of ways, where Superman okay. Returns is also a superhero movie that's not really a superhero movie. It's a human condition movie, mm -hmm. you know. And it almost seemed like Wonder Woman 84 is something that, like, Frank Capra would have made. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, sure. Talking about wish fulfillment and, and capitalism and everything. But, I mean, Pedro Pascal was freaking brilliant. There, you know, oh. kind of seeing somebody who, you know, has built this whole, like, you will literally, like, Ponzi scheme around him. But he believes it. You know what I mean? He's yeah. cynical, but he also really does believe in it. At the end of it, like, he really just wants to be respected by his son. But it was interesting how, you know, I mean, what he reminded me of was the music man in a lot of ways. Okay. He's like the 1980s version of the music man where he's not conning the town. He's conning the whole world. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And he gives, he can give them the instruments, but they can't just magically play. You know what right. I mean? 
Um, and I, I, I liked him. I liked him a lot in the movie. I was not. I was. I was expecting that he was going to be like the secondary villain. Yeah. But he was. The, he was the main villain. You know, honestly, and there, there were definitely scenes that I enjoyed, and I think he is what stole the show for me. You know. Yeah, definitely. But I, but I like what you're saying. I mean, you're right. You're right. And but I think what's going to be next that I want to talk about kind of hits on those same notes that you were talking about within wish fulfillment. Um, that brings me to my number two, um, which again, you know, falls similar to the themes that you were talking about with wonder woman, 1984. My number two is soul. Yep. I, I fell in love with this movie. Um, listeners, if you go back and listen to the previous episode, me and my brother-in-law, we talk about this movie for like an over an hour and just, I don't know. I, I, part of me feels like Pixar is no longer making movies for kids. I feel like this is a movie that's made. Yeah, for adults, I agree. You know, um, though it does have its fun, cute moments that you would get from a Pixar film, the conversation and the reflection that it brings into our lives in, in regards to what does it mean to have meaning and purpose? And again, that wish fulfillment and what we think we want and, what happens when that doesn't satisfy us in the way that we thought it would? Or what does that mean in regards to um, what's really important with, with family and with um, being good, you know, being helpful for us in others, other people's lives. And it just, it, there's a lot with that movie that honestly I got done and I'm like, I need to watch it again. I need to, I want to watch it immediately again because I, I know I missed themes and things that are going to be, important that are still going to stay with me so but the listeners have heard me you still there hello are you there yeah yeah i lost you for a second what did you think of the movie um i thought it was um Shoot me now, but it was inside out, but no longer in search of a plot. So, so this one had more of a plot than inside out. By a lot, yeah. yes. Well, basically, it, it was inside out, but like made into a movie that somebody would actually want to see, I guess. Um, I liked inside out, but I, I do like this one more, I think. Yeah. So controversy aside, um, it, it it's interesting because it has no real. It's got a narrative flow, but it's not the typical narrative flow you would expect. Like you would think in this kind of movie, you know, dude dies, spends most of the movie as the little you know uh, wispy thing with the hat and the glasses, and. You know, most of it's going to be in the afterlife, and then at the end, maybe he comes back or whatever. But it doesn't really happen that way. It's like he keeps going back and forth. Right. Because it's more of like, you know, kind of a stream of consciousness movie almost. Um, I got to also give a shout out to how accurately they portrayed New York City. I was going to actually this. ask you about that. Go on. Yeah. I mean, most movies that take place in New York City are BS. Like, they don't really, they take place in, in the New York City that people think of when they think of New York City. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which I guess is, they haven't been there. It's from all the movies that take place there. But you know, Midtown, Downtown, 
right. um, really, really kind of Harlem, picking the flavorless right? places of it, you know, kind of the volume of people there, the, the sites. But this, you know, had kind of like what's happening on the street corners, what's happening on the nightclubs, public school system, the subway, you know. Um, Harlem? You, you, you can usually judge like how accurate a portrayal of New York City is based on how the subway seems when they show it, if they show it, you know? True. Yeah, and, like, the whole idea, too, of, like, you don't look at each other, you don't talk to each other on the subway. Yeah. Um, that really got, which for me, being the outgoing guy that I am, whenever I'm visiting, it's just, like, unnatural for me because I'm just the guy who wants to go, so who are you? What are you doing? Where are you going? You know, I'm always, like, interested, you know? And just yeah. doesn't work with New Yorkers. Well, trust me, you would lose that if you lived there for like a year. <laughs> like who everybody the hell are you, does. Buddy? What do you want? Yeah, everybody. You know, everybody's different until they get to New York, and they all end up the same, basically. Um, but you know, um, it yeah, it was it was definitely a movie that I could empathize with. You know, having originally been aiming to be in the music business, you know, mm-hmm. kind of having the mindset of you know I was made for this, blah blah blah. Um, it's a very typical, like, creative perspective, you know, and kind of seeing him, you know, way past his prime, really, teaching middle school, and it's obviously something that he feels like he's slumming it, kind of like I felt like I was slumming, you know, um, managing the lessons department at Guitar Center, and kind of looking back, it's like that, that might have actually been the most fun I had in a job. Um, the kind of the message of like, you know, that your life isn't a preamble to the main event. Your life is the main event. Your whole life is, you know what I mean? That it all has equal value that we think that we're waiting for our lives to start, that we're waiting for our lives to have meaning, but the whole journey has meaning, you know? Yeah, and I love that, too, because that's in the relationship between Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, where, you know, she's saying, well, I want to just walk around and talk to people and enjoy these things. And he's like, that's not meaning. That's just living. Yeah. You know, in which it's just like, no, no, you're the one who is miscued here, Jamie, you know, or whatever. Joe is the name of this, the character he played. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought this movie was fantastic and I cannot wait to watch it again. You know? Yeah, I'm going to actually watch again, too. Um, anything else you want to say about Soul? I don't think I don't think I really got anything else. I mean, it was, you know, it was excellent. It had some of the best um, slapstick of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Definitely the, scene, the scenes with him, like, and the cat. And then you see the cat, like, from everybody else's perspective, were hilarious. I mean, I know that, you know, I've seen it before, the whole talking animals thing, mm-hmm. but I thought that they just really, like, the the hard left turn into absurdity that somehow fit in the movie. Yeah, and to, and to see Joe, you know, as, as his body moving around and walking around, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was so great as well. It was so lanky and awkward and hysterical to watch, too. Yeah. All right, Dave, let's get to your number one. We'll save my number one. Um, what do you have? 
My number one. Give me a second here. Because I got to, uh, I got to pull it up here. I think I already know what it is. Well, you do. Process of elimination, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to have to honestly go with um, Fantasy Island. <laughs> <laughs> you know, knowing you, part of me is, like, inside, like, is it really? Because I, I could see you. Because, like, the person who puts Wonder Woman 1984 might be able to Okay, okay, okay. You know, something that was like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. You can give it a break. I will actually give a call, a really quick call out. It's not on my top 10, but it was a movie that a lot of people ridiculed. And um, honestly, I thought it was really good. Call of the Wild. I didn't get through it. I I put on like for 10 minutes and I turned it off because I had to do something else. But Was it the dog CGI? Yeah, I I don't think yeah. it really worked for me. No, it it does not work. It's and I think that's why most people wrote off the movie. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know why you would animate a dog with CGI. Like they, if you can find one animal that they can actually train to act, it's a dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would and say honestly, it's almost as ridiculous as having CGI people, but you know they're making a movie with James Dean in it, so right. And honestly, just in the last couple of weeks, I went back and watched Homeward Bound, um, you know, with Michael J. Fox and Sally Field as the voices of these animals. And I love that movie. Like, you can make you can make Call of the Wild work without having to do all the weird side, you know, um, CGI animation. But, Dave, tell me, what's your number one? My number one has definitely got to be um, Greyhound, surprisingly. Oh, really? I thought it was going to be Mank. Oh, crap. What? It, 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 it's 11 movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't count. Um, I, like you said, I put this together in, in a second. Um, Mank, well, let's just, let's just do Mank first. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so right. 11 movies. You just pick one. Um, I, I gave you a... Uh, I gave you Fancy Island. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this will make it interesting. That's not fair. You get 11. I get 10 um, movies. But I'll, I'll throw um, in an honorable mention on my part. Um, just nearly made, didn't make my list was uh, Freaky. Freaky? Yeah. You, did you not see it? No. I don't even know what it is. It's another movie that's making fun of the trope of the body swap movie, but it's a horror movie where basically the final girl switches bodies with the serial killer and the serial killer is played by Vince Vaughn. And it's so much fun. And it's like, it's like when you think about horror movies and like the sequels of like, Friday the 13th and Halloween and stuff and the ridiculous kills that you see the the killer make, you know, and killing these teenagers or whatever. This movie really leans into the ridiculousness of the kills um, in a really fun way. But then you've got Vince Vaughn, who is, you know, basically has a teenage girl stuck in his body 
and you've seen this teenage girl being a psychopath, you know, at having them swap. And it was really fun. And so, so does he say anything about, out. you know, for most of the book, Vince has been a serial killer, but you get to write the last 10 pages? Yeah, pretty much. You know that's a reference to? What? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, I only saw that once. Oh. But anyway, so we both kind of got some honorable mentions. Talk to me about Mank. Saw it a couple days ago. Um, I mean, I thought, it was, I thought it was a masterpiece. I will definitely say this. It is not written nor really paced like an old movie, so I actually felt like the choice to make it black and white and to do the, the sound post-processing, which might actually be the first time that anybody's ever done that in a, you know, in a major film. I mean, because you see movies filmed like old movies, but I've never seen any of them actually sound like old movies. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was kind of I wanted to turn the sound processing off because um, it's not written like a movie from that era. It's not really shot like a movie from that era. But, you know, it's doing that. You know, it's it's a fantastic movie. Um, the performances are all great. I think the mm-hmm. dialogue was honestly like it kind of out Aaron Sorkin to Aaron Sorkin, to be honest. OK. Um, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a, an excellent movie, you know. Yeah, I feel like it's Fincher, like watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and said, "All right, Tarantino, I see you. Let me let me do my version. Let me do this movie, you know, because and it, it probably is going to be highly contended for Oscars as well. Because if we know anything about the Academy Awards, um, they love movies about Hollywood. Yeah, you know." And this movie, you know, about being the writing of Citizen Kane, one of the most, you know, prolific, biggest movies ever made. You know, I think it's still like either number one or number two on AFI's list of the top movie ever made. Um, yeah, it's it's good. And Gary Oldman is great in it, you know, and he could pick up his second Oscar win for this movie. Well, if you're keeping with the Citizen Kane tradition, they'll nominate it for 10 Oscars and it'll win none of them. Oh, that's true. That's that's true. That's pretty funny. Um, Actually, what it reminded me of though is Trumbo. It reminded me a lot of Trumbo, and I guess it's because you know it's it's another screenwriter movie, so obviously the dialogue's going to have that kind of pop. The character's going to have that kind of charisma, but also the fact that he's the guy sitting back and kind of self consciously realizing how ridiculous everybody is around him. Yeah, you know, but at the, but at the same time, kind of the hypocrisy of the fact that like he's still there, he's still making the money, so he like criticizes all these people around him, but that's why he has a job in the first place, yeah. you know, which is kind of the writer's dilemma, right? So yeah, yeah, and I liked that they it messed with time and it was kind of going back and forth and seeing, you know, it's similar to like, is you know, we're watching a different version of Citizen Kane in a lot of ways. You yeah, know? so. Cool. Um, do you want to quickly just mention some stuff about Greyhound before we get to my number one? Sure. Um, so Greyhound was a movie I did not expect. I mean, I, 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 I thought it was about a bus originally. I mean, just looking at the title, like I, I know that's a kind of dog and I know it's a bus with really bad ventilation problems. So didn't really know what to expect. I don't have Apple TV. I will not get it. Um, not going to say how I watched the movie, but I watched it and it was the best movie of the year for me Um, because, you know, it did it have the best script, 
no. Um, it's it's a really good example of minimalist filmmaking where they're telling a story about one thing very specifically. You know, in this case, being a destroyer running escort for a you know a merchant convoy at the beginning of World War II across the Atlantic, being stalked by U-boats. But the just the the tension and the like the weight you see of what it takes out of him personally being in command stalked by these submarines over the course of like five days or whatever is probably more thrilling than any other movie I've ever seen. You know I mean? It's also the best action film of the year. I think um, just incredibly filmed, incredibly written. He actually wrote the script himself. Um, you know, and, and we've seen world war two in about 50,000 different movies, but to see something that, you know, just kind of zeroes in on one very specific kind of event in the war where, you know, it's just you and these boats crossing the Atlantic for a few days and, you know, you got no air cover. And so, yeah, you got radio communication, but for all intents and purposes, the war might not, might as well not even be happening. It's just you and the U-boat, you know? Um, mm. Absolutely fantastic movie. Um, just like a, a spectacle of filmmaking. It, it's basically to 2020 what 1917 was to 2019, you know? And if there was one movie this year that really, like, you can just watch it on a TV and realize that, you know, this is the kind of thing you need to see in, like, IMAX with Dolby Cinema, you know, where the chairs are shaking. This movie is it, you know? Um, yeah, incredible film. Okay. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I, I saw it, and to be honest, man, I'm sorry to say it, but I was kind of bored by the movie. Um, the whole movie was just like one scene, you know, and it didn't really, it, not in a good way. Like you know, we talk about 1917 and how the spectacle of that movie. I don't think I think it's different, and it's not one shot. But it's really just like people yelling out numbers and playing Battleship on the ocean. And I was kind of bored by it, but I like seeing Tom Hanks within that role. I don't know if that's kind of controversial for me to say, but I don't know. Well, it's easy zone, you know. Um, I mean, I guess like I, I, I spent a lot of time like, you know, growing up and traveling and going to like subs and battleships and stuff exhibits like that so mm. i kind of got more of a, a like a background of understanding this and kind of having read about it and finally seeing it on the screen um sure but you know it's kind of it's like when you get a movie that's minimalist like that it's going to work for some people and it's really not going to work for other people you know oh, right yeah all right well you ready to get to my number one? Oh yeah all right, you want to talk about controversy? I know you're going to rip me one for this, dude, because um, I think you're—I know what you're going to say once I say it. But my number one is Hamilton. I don't really have an opinion because I sat through the first half hour of the movie. Oh, you didn't watch the full thing? No. Nah. Oh, I thought. See, I thought you were going to say, "Yeah, it was good," but it wasn't a movie. Well, I mean, it isn't a movie technically, but <laughs> let's just. You know, we can we can put that to we can put that to bed. But I, if I had known that, I could probably find some like two hour long YouTube videos I could have included on this list. Well, I think you know, 
the the re- the truth of the matter is, and I can I can hear people's arguments and saying how this doesn't, you know, how this doesn't apply as being a movie. It doesn't count. But at the same time, like you know, it's there was a film craft, you know, to this film as they are as they are filming the performances on the stage and moving in and the cinematography. I mean, everything around the movie. I think some people would contend and say, you know, it's not a movie because it was filmed intentionally the way that it was. And then I would just kind of look at that and say, well, how would you differentiate that from like documentaries? You know, cause I would think documentaries are considered movies, but why wouldn't this be considered a movie? You know? Yeah. So um, I, I but, think it's a movie. Okay. Okay. So, but um, you, like you said, you've only saw a little bit of it. You didn't watch the full thing. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I, no, I didn't. <laughs> um, why is that? Um, I did I just it didn't really resonate with me. Um, I, I guess kind of the whole historical perspective, you know, like, and also honestly, I mean, I listened to hip hop back when I was, you know, trying to be in the music business. Now it just doesn't really speak to me that much. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of, you know, caused a problem for me just being interested in it. I, it's something I might go back and watch at some point, you know. I mean, I know that my dad actually watched it and he was pretty impressed, which says something because he definitely doesn't listen to hip hop at all. Sure. Um, might just have been at the wrong time, quite honestly. Yeah, honestly, like, um, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Um, I think, you know, I think back in the day when I first tried listening to the Hamilton music, you know, when it, like, on Spotify or whatever, and and I'm like, I, I wasn't able to attach it to the story. I'm just like, okay, all I can hear is hip hop and I'm not getting the, the, the actual story that's happening here. Um, but then seeing it on the screen with the music, I think the music is so excellent. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda did an incredible job in the, the writing and the, the making of this. Um, obviously his performance as well as um, Alexander Hamilton. But then other people like... Um, Gosh, oh my gosh, who played Alan Burr? Um, Leslie Odom Jr. Um, phenomenal. David Diggs was incredible within the movie. I so I think the performances were great. And honestly, like I don't even think of it necessarily in the same vein of like hip hop or rap or anything like that. I, I just listen to the music and I hear the music and how there's some songs that are definitely not hip hop and they're so well done. You know, it just sounds like another musical to me. You know, and I think it was so important too not to have it be reformatted to be like, hey, here we are on the actual streets of of New York City or, you know, Albany or whatever. But the fact that it was filmed from the stage and you get all the dancers and you get all the the stagecraft that we see within the performance and that you we get to see why this musical was as big as a hit as it was or is on Broadway itself. And it's still like the hardest tickets to get to this day, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it's totally worth going back and checking out. Um, so yeah, Dave, we got our top 10 list here. I had to adjust yours a little bit. I moved um, everything up and I, I booted birds of prey off your top 10 in order to make Greyhound number one. Um, but listeners, when we come back, we will return with our official, list of the our 2020 film for the podcast so these will be the top 10 movies 
of 2020. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in just a couple seconds. All right, listeners, with that, we have our official top 10 list for streaming Disney, all the movies of 2020. Um, These are probably movies that would not necessarily have made the list. I mean, at least not all of them um, with if all the movies did come out as it was planned without a pandemic. But with that, I'm going to count down from 10 to one. Um, So here we go. Number 10, we have Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. Number nine, we have the Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Number eight, we have the Pixar film Onward. Um, Number seven, we have Dave's pick of Wonder Woman 1984. Number six, um, we both agree, we put it on number six, is The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. Number five, we have Mank, the Gary Oldman Fincher film. Um, Number four, we have Hamilton, the musical sensation. That, that it was. Um, number three, we have Dave's number one pick of Greyhound. Number two, we have The Trial of the Chicago 7. And the number one film for, the, for 2020 is the Disney Plus film Soul from Pixar. Dave, how do you feel about our list? He's more Fantasy Island. You need more Fantasy Island. Okay, let me slip that in at 1.5. Oh man, actually that that was very much on the very bottom of my list along that honestly what I have written down after Artemis Fowl was Fantasy Island. I didn't actually see it, so Oh. Yeah, that's not good. Um I mentioned Freaky as being an honorable mess um mentioned. Do you have anything else that was just narrowly missed your list? Huh, let me think. I I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, mine, um, I have a couple that I just wanted to mention that just got edged out. Um, I have the documentary that was on Netflix, The Social Dilemma. Um, That was on my list. I had New Mutants on my list for a while. I had the the Ben Affleck film that came out earlier in the year, The Way Back. That was on my list. Um, Kind of a destructive man who goes back to teach high school basketball, given an opportunity. He was a drunkard. It was actually a really good movie. And then also I have the sequel to the train of Busan um, that almost made it on my list, Peninsula. Um, I just watched that a few days ago, and it's definitely worth watching. Did you see the train to Busan? Yeah, I did. I didn't see the sequel. The sequel was good. I think it's worth checking out. I don't like it as much as the, the, the first film, but I thought it was very good and worth checking out. So, all right. Well, Dave, um, thanks for coming on to the show and um, giving me your thoughts and just, kind of doing what we would do naturally anyway and talk about movies. I love this format of just going through and talking about the films of 2020 and maybe we'll have to do this again, man, and have you on and we'll talk about some more movies. Yeah, definitely. All right. Awesome. Well, dude, um, I'm going to, I'm going to send you off and then listeners, when we come back, I'm actually going to go ahead and, and tell you um, just what to expect in January and um, what to actually expect next week for the podcast as well. So stay tuned. All right, Extremers, um, that's going to wrap up our conversation for our main content. I just want to quickly break down for you guys as we're kind of signing off here, just in a couple minutes, 
um, all that we're getting this month in January. Um, we continue to get monthly releases, and as we get further and further along, we're getting actually less and less as far as catalog films, as far as things coming in from other properties, and so I don't think it's going to take as long for me to tell you what's going on, and in the midst of it, I'm actually going to also tell you what we're going to be doing next week. But first, I do want to start with talking about the original Disney content or Disney Plus content that will be coming out on the streaming platform for the month of January. Um, every Friday for the month of January, we're going to be getting episodes of Beyond the Clouds. This is a documentary series that um, documents the making of the movie Clouds that came out a few months ago. Um, I honestly, I love that movie a lot. It narrowly missed my honorable mentions for the year on my top 10 list. Um, but I, I think the, the documentary series is actually pretty good as well. If you want to know the real true story of this young man who's, um, valiantly lost his life in his, um, battle with cancer. Um, if you do want to check out the show though, I do have to tell you, it's, you're not going to find it like standalone on a little bubble on the, on the main platform of Disney plus, you would actually have to go to the bonus section of the movie itself. Um, we actually got also another bunch of episodes for the Jim Henson show, Earth to Ned. Um, this came out a few months ago as well. The first 10 episodes came out then. We got another 10 episodes about this talk show that this Muppet alien um, hosts, and and he interviews stars from Earth. And it's actually, I like it quite a bit. I think it's really cool. I wish it was one of those series that they did it weekly, so it could be like a weekly um, late show that you can almost watch with, with the Muppets, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, this Friday, January 8th, we'll be getting two episodes for a show called Marvel Legends. And I think what this is, is just going to be building up anticipation for the WandaVision show that's going to be coming out. I would almost even expect that, you know, we might get another couple episodes in time for Falcon and Winter Soldier when, then, when that comes out. So that's going to be this Friday, January 8th, which will take us into the following week, January 15th, where we will finally get... WandaVision. This will be the first show to Disney Plus from the MCU. Um, I'm actually a little bit worried. I'm worried if this is going to be the first thing that we're going to get from Disney Plus MCU. And I think it's going to be such a polarizing thing. I think some people are going to expect something else from this show. And I think it's going to actually, it might hinder the show a little bit. I think if you're expecting something like The Mandalorian, which was such a huge hit, and this is like the next big thing... If it's not what you expect, is it not going to be viewed upon as as um, warmly as as some of the other things like the the Mandalorian or maybe what will come next from the MCU? I just don't want it to taint the MCU. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we're going to get that um, premiere episode on the fifteenth, and we'll get um, it'll just keep coming out every Friday as well. So we'll get another episode on the twenty second and another episode on the twenty ninth. Also on January 15th, we're going to get an another episode of Disney Insider. This was like a, um, I don't know, like an, a half hour episodes that they started doing last year. And it would just kind of document and say, hey, this is what you can expect from the Disney company. Here's what's coming in movies. Here's what's coming in television. Here's what's coming in the parks. And because everything shut down as much as it did, there wasn't as much to advertise. So that kind of, that show can halted to a stop with the pandemic, and I guess maybe there's more things to talk about, so we'll be getting another episode of that on the 15th, um, which will get us into the 22nd as well, where we'll be getting something that was announced at the Disney Investors meeting a couple weeks ago, um, something called Pixar Popcorn, and what they describe this as being is, well, it's going to be like a, a series of shorts 
Um, but they're going to be like mini shorts featuring Pixar characters. So it'll be, you know, little, just small little segments. But I, one thing I don't know is whether or not this is going to, we're going to get all of them at once. So we're going to have a bunch of little episodes to watch on this 22nd of Pixar stuff. Or if we're going to get like a weekly kind of a thing, or if they're going to drop one and then a couple weeks later or a month later, they're going to drop another one similar to what they did in with Pixar in real life. But we shall see. Um, well, that covers us in regards to everything that is a original Disney Plus content that will be coming out this month. But um, let me tell you what's going to be coming that's more of a catalog stuff, things that were acquisitions, whether it was Marvel, whether it was um, National Geographic, whether it was 20th Century Fox. January 1st, so this is actually this past weekend, we got three shark shows or shark documentaries from National Geographic. We got 700 Sharks. Great Shark Chowdown, and Mega Hammerhead. We also got three movies that came over from 20th Century Fox. We got the animated film Horton Hears a Who, Mr. Popper's Penguins with Jim Carrey, and another X-Men movie um, within the 20th Century Fox line, The Wolverine, which was um, based on the Frank uh, Miller um, and, gosh, who did the, I can't even remember right now. Oh, Chris Claremont, I believe. Yeah, Frank Miller did the art. Chris Claremont did the the writing. You're probably not interested in that, but it's it's based upon that very popular story of the Wolverine while he's in Japan. Um, I like the movie up until the last act. Anyway, um, January 8th, we're going to get a Disney Fan Jam, which I guess is a competition competition series from the Disney Channel. And um, yeah, if, if you're interested in Disney Channel stars and teenage stars, um, this might be something for you. Um, we're also going to get the movie Ferdinand, which is The Bull, another 20th Century Fox film that got acquisitioned to Disney+. Um, we're actually also going to get four seasons or four volumes of Star Wars Forces of Destiny. This is like a short animated thing that was on the Star Wars YouTube channel or Disney's YouTube channel. And it just kind of documents or it tells stories of um, awesome Star Wars women from... Amadala to Ahsoka to Leia to just to say like what made these these women as as big as they are and as important as they are. We're also going to get another Pixar short um, called Toy Story that time forgot. Um, probably something like it you would see at the beginning of a movie, a Pixar movie or something. January 15th, we're going to get the movie Mary Poppins Returns. That's finally coming to Disney Plus after a year or so not being on there. We're also going to be getting Dr. Doolittle 3. And Isle of Dogs, the Wes Anderson film, the stop-motion Wes Anderson film. I love this movie from a couple years ago. Worth checking out. And we're also going to be getting the third season of Elena of Avalor, which I hear is a pretty popular show. January 22nd, we're going to get another National Geographic show, Wild Uganda. And on January 29th, we're going to be getting a few cool things. We're going to have National Geographic um, documentary, The Incredible Dr. Pole and Texas Storm Squad, and we're going to get the movies from, again, 20th Century Fox, Epic and Ramona and Beezus. So I've seen Epic, but I have not seen Ramona and Beezus. Um, I know uh, Ramona and Beezus starred, oh gosh, that girl um, from High School Musical. I can't remember her name at the moment. But I think one of the big things that is kind of exciting to talk about is seasons one through four, the entire series of the 90s show Dinosaurs. I don't know if you guys remember this. I'm a 90s kid. I remember this show very much so. This is again from the Jim Henson Company and it's live action dinosaur things. You know, it's, think Flintstones, but with dinosaurs, they're kind of going through their lives. This is where the 
um, the lines like, not the mama, not the mama comes from, and I'm the baby, gotta love me. This is like right from the prime time of like Family Matters and Boy Meets World and Full House. It's right in that time of like TGIF season. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to see this. I'm glad this is being added onto the series. Okay, guys, let me just tell you quickly about what we're going to be doing next week. I know I'm going on a little bit, so, um, thank you for sticking with me as I was telling you about what's going to be going on in January this month, what you can be expecting. Let me tell you what you can be expecting for next week. Um, in time for WandaVision, um, kind of amping up and being prepared for that. I can also tell you that similarly to what we did with The Mandalorian each week, we're also going to be doing that with WandaVision. So as the premiere episode comes out, we're going to have an extra little bonus at the end where we're going to talk about the latest episode of WandaVision, including the premiere in two weeks. But in leading up to that, I thought it would be good for us to watch the... Um, the movie that we first got introduced to the characters of Vision and Wanda, aka Scarlet Witch. So me and my guest, you remember her, Terry Bonnie, she's going to be coming on and we're going to be watching Avengers Age of Ultron. So if you're interested in watching that, it will kind of get you a little bit amped up, a little bit excited, and um, you'll be able to see the first time we got to see these characters on the big screen. So, going to be cool. I'm excited. Um, I, I somewhat enjoy this movie, and so it'll be be cool to explore and go back to it and see, hey, you know, is it has it gone up on my list or has it gone down on my list in my ranking of the MCU movies? We shall see. Okay, um, thank you everybody for sticking with me and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Extreming Disney. I'll see you guys next week as we talk about Avengers Age of Ultron. Bye-bye. <laughs>